Welcome to Social Capital Expert, a show where we discover the value of social capital and how cultivating strategic relationships is critical to our success. In each episode, your host, Sarah Francis McDaniel, will explore the stories of fascinating people from all over the world to better understand how their ability to build relationships has led to their success. We will uncover tips, tricks, and practical ways that you too can become a social capital expert. Hi, and welcome to the show. I am very excited to have my new friend, Jen Ewan, here today. Jen, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to learn more about you and, and see what we can learn from one another. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here. And the idea of social capital is how we advance through life. And so I'm so grateful that there's a podcast that focuses on this important topic. Oh, well, thank you. And um, yeah, so here, let's just, let's dive right in. Can you just give us a little bit of information about kind of where you are, who you are, and, and kind of get us started, and then we'll dive into a little bit of your background. Yes. Um, so I spent my career connecting my clients to their audiences. I started managing bands and helping connect them to fans. Then I moved from to brands, connecting them to consumers. And my last full-time job was helping leaders connect with their audiences. So I always was around this idea of building community, building connection, and that social capital aspect. Um, and now I get to build community with the Pledgettes, which is a community of women talking about money. So we collaborate with different money experts and uh, help supportive women on their own personal financial journey. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to learn more about this. And I have a feeling I need to get involved in this. But before we get to that point, let's go back a little bit and find out how you got here. What's, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I, um, I love that I get to work talking about money all day, every day, because I have zero background in finance. Um, I grew up in a family that openly talked about money. So um, I'm one of five kids. And my parents talked to my brothers, my sisters, and myself about money all the same way. Um, that money is really about, it gives us choice. So we get to make choices with our money and um, how to have a healthy relationship with money. Now, you know, it wasn't the perfect relationship. You know, I think my, my, we always saw like my dad has a very abundant mindset. My mom has a bit more of a scarcity mindset, but the balance between them and how they talked about money was incredibly important and valuable. Um, and, you know, I also grew up with this idea of generosity and taking care of others and supporting community and, um, and being a good helper. And so um, I, in 2010, I left the US and I went to Peru and worked for a nonprofit for seven months. Um, and the biggest lesson in that was I saw that everybody down there was appreciative of what they had. Where in the US, I feel like so often we're sad for what we don't have. And that was a big mindset shift in my life. That's huge. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. So much of it about is about perspective. And when we, um, when we have the wrong perspective, it seems to kind of put a haze over everything. So are you from Colorado? Where are you from? I grew up in Chicago. Okay. Went to college in San Diego. 
went back to Colorado or went back to Chicago, went down to Peru, back to Chicago, and then I moved to Colorado five years ago. Okay, awesome. So have you always had a passion? I mean, you said bands and, and kind of connecting. How did you get into the band industry? What was that all about? Have you been passionate about music or what was that like? I, I wish I could say I was just a music junkie. I enjoyed music like the average person. Um, but in high school, my boyfriend was uh, a rep for a band named Guster. And this was kind of pre, this was definitely pre-digital downloads, uh, even pre-Napster. And a lot of bands that didn't have distribution would sell their CDs through street teams. And so he was on the Guster street team. I bought CDs from him. And then um, I found out about this company, Aware Records, that was based in Chicago. And they put out a compilation each year of the best unsigned bands in the country. And so I joined their street team, was selling their CDs, and got into the music industry that way. <laughs> wow, that's kind of fun. It was awesome. And um, so at AWARE, I managed our street team, which was 1,400 volunteers in the U.S. and Canada who would sell merchandise at concerts, sell CDs, um, and promote our band. So it was this kind of very grassroots marketing strategy um, that I learned a lot about connection and 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 listening to music recommendations from people that had trust and credibility because they always knew the next cool band that was going to come out. Um, so I love that aspect of of grassroots marketing and and connection and building trust and credibility. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So then you went from the bands and kind of that piece of marketing, then where, what, where'd you go from there? I went from bands to brands. So I worked in experiential marketing at different agencies, um, managing their mobile tours, street teams, anytime you saw a product outside of a store. So fairs and festivals, um, airports, malls. And so I worked on um, General Motors, Craft Foods, uh, Hotels.com, and uh, while working with Craft, I built the first Oscar Mayer Wienermobile food truck because awesome. the Wienermobiles, yeah, the Wienermobiles don't serve food. So uh, Oscar Mayer was launching a new hot dog, and so we built a, a food truck with a massive hot dog on top of it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. You know, one of the things I was thinking as you were talking is, you know, there's obviously the goal of those jobs, both of those, is to create engagement between the product, whether it's the band and the music and the people or the food or the, or the brand and the, and the people. When you look at building social capital, it really is all about creating engagement, finding commonality. And what did you find that during that time of your life, was really sort of important in creating that engagement and that connection? I would say the biggest thing is that humans crave shared experiences. And so to say like, oh, I was at that concert and when this thing happened or when they played the song that they never played or, you know, that, that idea of like, I was there and finding other people that were there too, where you really have this connection through a shared experience and um, events have always been a huge part of my life. So in 2020 with COVID not having that human connection, 
Um, I've really had to learn how to build that connection through virtual meetings and, and virtual experiences. And I think what I miss the most about in-person events and cannot wait to get back to them is uh, this idea of like having a shared experience. Like I loved all the events, the live events that I would go to, but what I loved even more is after it's all over, you turn to the person next to you and you're like, what was your favorite part? Wasn't that cool? And so that it's, it's not a bunch of going around and networking meetings or just repeating your elevator pitch over and over. You have this authentic connection because you just shared something cool together. Absolutely. I, I, events were a big part of my life as well up until COVID and I'm still doing events on a small scale. So there's a different level of intimacy to them. Um, not so much the big events that I was used to, to doing, but you're right. It's, there's just something about being in the same place at the same time and having a similar experience that can really create a bond and start that kind of deepening of that connection really quickly that can be hard to find in the digital world. What are you doing now in COVID to sort of create that same feeling or that same sense? Yeah, so the, um, so the Pledgeettes pre-COVID, we would have one in-person event per month in Denver, one webinar per month in Denver, and one online member chat. Um, when COVID hit, we realized, oh man, there's a lot more money topics that we need to be talking about right now. And so we increased our programming to weekly webinars and two member chats per month. Um, and I think our, our events are awesome because we keep them to small groups. So it's a really intimate experience um, where you get to ask this expert, our expert collaborator, um, questions in a small group. And we start every um, event with introductions. We end every event with commitments that we're making based on what we had learned in this hour. Um, so finding those ways to leverage technology like breakouts and reactions and the chat feature and polling to really make sure that people are engaged. Um, we will periodically do these events called 100 Women Talking Money. And I really love them in the virtual aspect and the virtual arena because I will send everybody off to one-on-one -on -one breakouts. So we have 50 breakouts going at a time. And then I can magically, with the press of a button, get everybody back into the general <laughs> session room again. Where if we, when we would do it live, you know, people would be deep in these conversations and it'd be like, time to come back. Everyone come back. So you're hurting people that are deep in meaningful conversations. So I guess that's... Uh, one of the benefits to the virtual events is our 100 women talking money events. It's kind of easier to, uh, to control the, the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this whole digital thing has definitely had some of its pluses for sure. I mean, I was telling people, I'm like, shoot, I used to have to have a sponsor, a venue, food, all this stuff. Now I can throw events without any of that pretty much. <laughs> and uh, as long as I can come up with really powerful content, um, I, it has streamlined the event process considerably. Now, you've, you've mentioned the Pledge Ads a, a couple of times, but can you take us to how that came to be? So you did the, the brand marketing and kind of connecting the brand to the people and the audience, and then where did that lead? How did you get to the Pledge Ads? So it was uh, last summer. Um, well, I guess I left full-time work about four years ago. 
Um, and at the time I was doing communication strategies for leaders with their employees. Um, my husband and I took some time off, traveled the country in our Airstream travel trailer, Fun. And then, which was incredible, highly recommend. A gap year at any point in your career, just take a gap year and just do it. Your career will be there for you when you come back. Um, <laughs> And so we came back and we were building up our recurring income. We had a couple of uh, real estate investment properties and we bought a restaurant, which has kept us here in Denver. Um, but last summer I wasn't working at the restaurant very much and I was trying to figure out what was next. Um, I started binge watching The Handmaid's Tale. I was seeing more inequities, gender inequities um, going on. I was feeling some of those myself. Um, and in talking to women, I saw that we were taught as great daughters, these money narratives and these money messages that were really keeping us back from building our wealth. And that was widening the gender wealth gap. So last summer, there was a lot of talk around the gender income gap. It, led me to this rabbit hole to learn about the gender wealth gap. So at retirement age, male version of you will have three times as much wealth because they make more money in their career, they take fewer breaks, and they invest earlier and more often. And as I was talking to women, I saw that those who were very financially savvy had these happenstance, right time, right place conversations in their lives, um, including myself, and I have very open money conversations with some colleagues of mine. And I knew that there had to be more women that wanted to participate in those conversations. So I built the Pledgeettes as a community to connect those two groups. Those who were having the money conversations and having expertise on different money topics with those who wanted to have a healthy, positive relationship with money and to improve their relationship with money. Um, this is a place to start money conversations. So there are also some, if you wanted to dive into the deep end, there are some incredible masterminds and uh, organizations that will help you fully get to where you want to be if it's becoming a millionaire, for example. Um, the Pledgeettes, I feel like it's, we're more values driven where if you want to feel good about making money and do good with your money, we talk about values-aligned spending, values-aligned banking, impact investing, sustainable investing, crafting personal financial goals that may not be to become the wealthiest person I can be. That's so awesome. And I think you're right. You know, it is so interesting. It, that's kind of a crazy number that there'll be three times and, you know, have three times more than, than I will or we will. Um, on average and it makes sense though because I just this morning was having a conversation with a, a, a female friend of mine and we were talking about how like we tend to be in our group we tend to be fairly savvy financially and we do really well for ourselves financially however we don't have a lot of people who can help us navigate where we go from here like okay we've gotten here we've taken these steps we've had a little but how do we continue to build where we're trying to go so that at some point we don't have to keep working in the same capacity that we're working right now what does all that look like and it's true that there's um just there's some things that we have for whatever reason internalized as not being available to us 
um, that our male counterparts don't even have that thought. They don't even, I mean, of course it's available to them, you know, and yeah. how we have to sort of work through that and overcome some of those that it's almost like negative self-talk, even though I don't know, you know, you don't actually look at it at that, but that's really what it is. Um, and so how do we, how do we come together and overcome that? Yeah. So I, I love to look at um, building your financial A-team, much like building your financial professional network. So there are a lot of different types of people that you need in your professional network. I feel there are the same five types of people that you need on your financial A-team. The first is growth partners. So when you have your goals, if you have goals in real estate, which you and I both have goals to increase our real estate portfolio. We need a great lender. We need a great realtor. We need a great insurance agent. So those are three growth partners we need on our financial aid team because real estate is one of our goals. People might need financial advisors, tax professionals, accountants, lots of people. Um, the second are connectors. So kind of the who's who that knows the right people that can help you reach your goal. So you know, Sarah and I were talking before this and um, talking about some different connectors that we have um, that we can connect each other with. Uh, so I'm excited. Sarah and I are now connectors for each other. Um, totally. The third is mentors and mentees. And Sarah, that's kind of what you were talking about is like, who are the women that are 10 steps ahead of you? Who are the women 10 steps behind you? And how are you talking about money with those women? Uh, the fourth and my favorite is your high five tribe. So that's who you get to celebrate your money milestones with. Um, because, you know, for, because money is such a taboo topic, like it feels like this solo journey. But my favorite thing is when um, a member of the Pledge at says, I just hit my savings goal this year, $5,000. And we all get to celebrate that with her um and that's such a fun thing to do like i think it's it's incredibly liberating to know that people will be genuinely excited for you when you reach those milestones um and the fifth and final is diverse thinkers so um i don't foresee myself investing in cryptocurrency but i'm curious about it so i like to seek out people who are doing things different than me so I can learn from them because even though I'm not going to put all of my money into cryptocurrency, should I put a little, should I test the market? Should I understand the risk level? Like I want to understand their process for making that investment. And so those five types of people make up your financial A team, which is similar to the social capital you would build in your professional life. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing because that's awesome. And we can seriously take that and build that. One of the things I love to do on this show is give practical advice, practical things that we can do, that we can go and, and apply it and see results in our own life. And I think those five people that we can surround ourselves with or five groups that we can surround ourselves can literally change the course of our financial future. And it is so interesting. I mean, having that diversity and we don't know what we don't know. And so being able to open ourselves up to that and, and connect with people who do know, um, whether we end up going down that path or not, just having the knowledge and the awareness can completely change our perspective on where we're headed. 
Yeah. And I have this in a worksheet, so we'll add it in the show notes so everybody okay. can. So if you didn't write all that stuff down because you're listening to this while you're on a dog walk, don't worry. Check the show notes later. <laughs> we'll put the worksheet in there. <laughs> Fabulous. And we will definitely have links as well to, to the Pledgeettes website and how they can contact you and make sure that uh, you do contact Jen and, and get in touch with her about some of this. Because I think you know this is one of those areas that we have to be actively pursuing and going after it. It doesn't just happen. The information isn't just readily available in the sense that it's being poured on us. We have to be we have to be uh, an active piece of our growth in this in this area. Absolutely. So as you um, you know you traveled the the country in your in your airstream, which sounds like a blast, and then you came back and and you started the Pledgeettes. I mean, I see behind you it says money moves, and so you know tell us a little bit more kind of about where you see this going, how you see, you know, sort of the Pledgeettes and social capital impacting kind of the, the future for you, where you're headed. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as I kind of shared at the top of this, like, we often are, are pushed into going on this personal financial journey by ourselves, and that just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> So I really designed the Pledgeettes to be community focused first, to go um, on your own personal journey, but with the support of others on their personal journey. Um, right now we have chapters in Denver, Portland, Oregon, and Chicago. Um, I hope that we continue to grow. We also have a virtual membership, so people from all over the country can join in. Um, I say the country because the majority of the topics we talk about are relevant for our economic system and, and our ways of building wealth here in the US. But um, my Portland city manager, she totally wants to go global with this. <laughs> so, you know, I think we'll just keep expanding. And the beauty is there is an infinite amount of money topics that we cover. So each week we're talking about something different with money, um, everything from money and health insurance, tax planning, funeral planning, negotiation, career planning, real estate, uh, sustainable investing, impact investing, banking, spending, all of this. Um, we can just keep going and going. As, I, as you can tell, I could just keep going and going and going with all the different money topics that there are to cover because, you know, I think Diversification is important. I think knowledge is, is key and finding what works for you personally because um, we generally learn about money from our family for better or for worse. And the economy and our systems have changed so much that we can't build wealth the same way that our parents could. It's just absolutely. Yeah, it is different. And, you know, and I, as you're talking, I'm wondering, how do you see social capital impacting or, or the value of relationships really impacting our financial like situation? I mean, how do you see that kind of correlation working together? Yeah, so um, I think it shows up huge with our money mindset. So money mindset is our collection of beliefs uh, emotions, experiences all around money. And I'm really digging into money narratives a lot lately. Um, you know, one that somebody said, 
the other day was if you make a lot of money, you have a lot of money. And that's something that like we project onto others and we make assumptions about with others and we just know that's not true. Um, you know, celebrities have died with substantial amounts of debt, even though they had substantial amounts of income. You know, we know there are people that are house poor. We know that there are people underwater on their debt. Um, and so I think, you know, if we don't talk about it, we're just going to make a bunch of assumptions about other people and generally to the detriment of our own money mindset and our own relationship with money. But once we can talk about it and destigmatize it and peel away the shame around money, um, it can increase our confidence and we can help others and we can help ourselves um, have the right relationship with money that we want and build wealth in the way that feels right to us. Absolutely. You know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about happiness. Will you share a little bit of just about, you know, how you, that, the, what you were reading or the book you were reading about how happiness and correlation with, with income? Yeah. So the happiness project, it's this great book. My brother bought it for me probably 10 years ago. Um, and in it, it says that as our income increases, our happiness increases, um, at, at a great rate until we hit about $70,000. And then as our income increases beyond that, our happiness does not increase at the same level. And that's truly because when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the bottom is that physiological needs, the food, shelter, water, um, air, those basic needs. And, you know, at an income of $70,000, you can live a good, comfortable life. You know, you've got a roof over your head, you can pay for your groceries. Um, you can live comfortably on $70,000 per year. And then beyond that, there are definitely ways you can increase your lifestyle, creep, um, in, and enjoy making more money. Um, but you're just not going to increase your happiness at the same level. Um, with that, though, I think it's very important, um, you know, some of these money narratives that, that Pledgeette members were grown up with is money is the root of all evil, rich people are greedy. So sometimes this idea and these stories and narratives that we hear will prevent us from making more money because we don't want to be greedy. But if you can reframe that and have the mindset of more money amplifies who I already am. So if you are a generous, kind person, more money can amplify that. If you are a selfish person, more money will amplify that too. <laughs> um, you know, so I think there's a lot of like mindset work. There's a lot of looking at both sides of every money narrative that we have and and every book that's out there and every research that exists um, because it, it probably will mean different things to different people. Absolutely. And you're so true. You know, it's like, I do hear people regularly say, oh, but money is the, the root of all evil. It's like, well, actually, I think the saying is that it's the love of money that's the yes. root of all evil. So it's not actually the money that's the root of all evil. It's your heart towards money. And it's like if we can really kind of continue to grow in our understanding of what it is that's happening on the inside of us in regards to money, 
that's the piece that can be the hangup, not the money itself usually. Um, and that's kind of what you said. It does. It totally amplifies what's already going on on the inside of us, who we already are. And it can be either uh, an accelerant and take us to something great, or it can be something that really kind of creates a stumbling block and, and makes it hard for us to actually go where we're trying to go. But reality is it's probably what's happening on the inside of us anyway that's really keeping us from going where we want to go. Absolutely. Yes. Do you, um, you know, as you kind of look at, like something I just, I love to hear from people is, you know, as you look at you, either your younger self or the people in your life now that are, are sort of your mentees or people that would look up to where you are, do you have any advice in regards to building social capital, building wealth um, that you would share and that you would just want to make sure that, that they know? Yes. Um... Uh, I, I love this question. I love that you ask it on every episode. Um, on the Pledgettes, on our Instagram, we ask incredible women to share money advice to their younger selves. So if you guys are seeking more advice, go check that out. Um, my advice to my younger self on building social capital is, is crucial. Um, I, my first job out of college, I loved. I, I thought it was my dream job. I thought I'd be there forever. I had a great manager. I thought I would work with him forever. Um, and so when I was 23, um, there was this woman that worked in the music industry and she invited me to a um, networking group for the women who worked in the music industry. And I never went because I felt that I didn't have enough value to give. I felt that I had always worked for my same manager, so I didn't really need to build a career path because I landed my dream job while still in school. Um, and I never worked on building my own network. And even though I got an invitation to a perfect networking group for me, so I would say, you know, receive the invitation, expand your network build your skills, gain the experience, um, all of those things are going to make you the perfect unicorn for whatever you're supposed to do in your future life. So just put yourself out there. Yes. Just go and do it. Be a just, part of what's around you. Totally. You, I think it's important to remember like you're on your own journey and whether that's professionally or financially, um, at the end of all of this, it's you. You know, it, even if you have the best realtor, financial advisor, accountant, all of these people on your financial aid team, um, it's your money. They're not sharing their money with you. You're not sharing your money with them, aside from paying them their fees and <laughs> wages. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you're responsible for yourself. So do what feels right to you um, and make sure that you're enjoying the journey and you're building a path for yourself and you're taking action that feels right and feels good and helps you get to where you want to go. Yeah, thank you for sharing because that's great advice. And I think, you know, as I, as I listen to you talk, I wonder, what do you find as sort of the, maybe the biggest or the most um, reoccurring challenge for women as they look at their financial picture? I think it's this idea of waiting for the someday, like waiting 
for someday I'll have a partner to make these decisions with me. Someday I'll get around to filling out my 401k paperwork with HR. Someday, you know, like you feel like you've got all this time ahead of you, but when you look at compound interest is a magical gift. Um, time in the market always outperforms timing the market. So, you know, getting started, I, I didn't get married until my mid thirties. Um, and if I would have waited 15 years to start building wealth until I had a partner, I would be so far behind. Before I met my partner, I had, uh, contributed the, my, to get the maximum match at each of my jobs every year. Um, I had bought and sold three condos in Chicago before moving to Denver. Um, I had built wealth in different ways before I met my partner. And if I would have waited, I just would be so far behind. I think that resonates hugely for me. I, I feel like I did exactly that. You know, I think all my life I grew up thinking, oh yeah, well, once I get married, I'm going to build something with my partner. And then I got married. I was 27 when I got married. And I'm like, okay, now is what? Well, that ended up being kind of a tragic situation for whatever reasons. Um, and I didn't build anything in that situation. Then within a year, I found myself divorced. And I realized like, wow, I just waited all this time thinking I was building something with someone. And here I am starting totally at scratch at 30 years old. Um, and I'm thankful for that situation because I don't know that had I not had that, that I would have ever taken that responsibility. I realized very quickly, well, I'm not gonna wait for someone to build this. I've got to start to build something for myself. And then I'll find someone in this journey that as my partner comes in and I have something to bring to that. Rather than yes. um, just waiting for someone coming in with nothing in hopes that we build something together, this is now we can double what we have as we come together because I've got mine and you've got yours and now we have ours. And um, and I was just talking to a, a young lady that I mentor just this week about that, about how, you know, don't wait. Like, don't put all your eggs in this thing that you're going to do this, that, and the other once you're married. Start now and then be a contributing partner to that marriage and grow what you already have built for yourself. And I think, I feel like with that comes so much confidence and just our own self-worth and our own um, understanding of our capabilities. Uh, so it's interesting to me that, that that's one of the biggest challenges that you see because I feel like, I mean, weekly, I have conversations with people who have exactly that mindset. Yeah, and I, you know, I think um, when we go back to the gender norms and the stereotypes, you know, whether it's what we saw with our parents or heard about with our grandparents or great grandparents, um, you know, I, I think there is this money narrative that um, the man will be the head of the household, will be the provider, um, will make our financial decisions, but that's just because that's that's who got to play the game first 100 years ago, 200 years ago. You know, up until 1974, women needed their husband's signature to get a credit card. So it's, it's no surprise that we have these generational money narratives that, um, of the gender roles in a, in a marriage and in a partnership. Um, but we need, to, we need to overcome those narratives and this idea that, you know, the damsel in distress will wait until 
a husband comes along, like your husband had to learn everything about financial literacy and personal finance and building wealth. Like you can too. It's not a gender thing anymore. Um, and I think that's going to strengthen your partner partnership. And if, you know, if, if you want to be deferential, if you want to stay at home and be a stay-at-home parent and raise a family, that is awesome. Like, those are the choices you get to make in this partnership. But be a strong partner and learn financial literacy, learn ways to build wealth, build wealth before you met your partner um, and enter into this partnership where you guys get to make the choices that are best for you and your family together. Absolutely. As you, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up and, and we come to this, I'd love to just give like a couple of actionable steps. And you gave us sort of like that dream team. Are there some things for people who are listening that are like, you know, how do I take those first steps towards this financial literacy? What would you recommend? Um, of course, you can join the Pledgettes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Come check us out, become a member, attend an event, just start following us on social media. Um, I think it's so crucial to start a money conversation, start talking about money, whether it's with your friends, your family, um, your partner. And there are a lot of easy ways that you can start a money conversation. I think it, it'd be very intimidating if you are in a partnership right now and, and you say like, hey, let's have a money conversation. I've listened to this podcast. I want to talk about money with you. You know, there are strategies for easing it in and creating a safe space for that conversation. I love starting money conversations with some of my favorite questions, um, one being, what's your first memory of money? Everybody has one. Everybody is happy to talk about that. And then you can kind of go deeper into money mindset and the, the key money experiences in your life that got you to where you are today. Um, I love talking about what would you do if you won the lottery? That is, a, everybody is openly ready to talk about that and already has their answer, even though most of them don't even play the lottery. So it's not like they're going to win <laughs> ever. <laughs> But that's a fun money conversation and it really gives insight into what your financial goals are and what those big things are that you should be working with. Um, we have a bunch of other money conversation starter questions on our Instagram. Um, follow along, just start a conversation. And then in the show notes, we'll also put that link to the um, building your financial A team. And so start a conversation, start thinking about it. Just have an intentional relationship with your money. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing. I mean, sometimes that's just what it is. It's just taking that first step of just becoming more aware. And then it's surprising how people come into your life who want to have that conversation, who can help you in that conversation. But it's just opening yourselves up sometimes to, to even being aware of what's happening around you and how you can be a part of that. You know, Jen, it has been wonderful having you, and it's been so fun to just get to know you a little bit more and know about the Pledgettes. And, you know, before we wrap up, is there anything that just kind of your final thought or that you want to share that you haven't yet? Man, um, I think we've talked about so much. We've talked about the value of doing this together. Um, don't isolate yourself with your own money goals. Um, you know, it should be 
it should be fun to talk about money. I have a lot of fun talking about money. And if you are um, feeling that you can't get there, reach out to me because I would love to have that first healthy, fun money conversation that you've had. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing yourself and opening yourself up to allowing people to reach out. And I just encourage you, if you're listening today and you feel a little uncomfortable or not sure where to start, to reach out to Jen and allow her to be a resource. Sometimes that's all that takes it takes to be um, to have a catalyst that can propel us to where we're really trying to go. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. This was so much fun. Oh my gosh, you've been a blast. And we can't wait to continue to see where the pledge ads go and what comes from this. And uh, I hope to have you back here sometime soon. And if we can do anything to support you and what you're, what you're kind of setting up for this community, always feel free to call on us. Will do, for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode of Social Capital Expert. Please visit socialcapitalexpert.com for show notes, additional episodes, and to see who will be visiting us next on the show. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming Social Capital Mixers. These are events where we can connect in person to build social capital. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you join us for the next episode.